0: we pray for us we're going to begin father thank you for the opportunity you've given us now to study your word lord given to us as a guide for our lives lord Uh, lord we acknowledge the fact that just the opportunity we have to open up the truth of your word and study it freely father without fear of retribution or persecution father is an, an incredible blessing And so I pray, Lord, that we would take our time very seriously now as as we try to understand Your Word and how to apply it to our lives, how to to live for Your truth, Father. I pray that the words of Scripture would, would speak directly to our hearts, would challenge us and convict us and encourage us. And, Fathers, we pray every Sunday morning, we pray through the power of the Spirit that we could be transformed more and more into the image of Your precious Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in His name. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. As you're finding Acts 14, I want to give you kind of some exciting news as we're in the middle now of uh, raising funds to build our building and and God has blessed us. And and by the way, the number of families that continue to give and add to the number uh, is growing. So if you're still praying about giving, we want you to be part of that. A lot of our families have already given and sacrificed and pledged. And if you have not, I want to encourage you to continue to pray about doing that. Uh, There's still need for you to do that. But we've set a a date to break ground now. I want to explain it to you very quickly and have you put it on your calendar. We're going to break ground on June the 3rd, which is an exciting day for us because that's VBS Sunday. We thought, what a a better day. That's not the way I should say it. There's not a better day, I guess. Uh, then June the 3rd because it's a it's a big celebration for us with all of our kids and all of our workers. So we're going to kind of, uh, we'll give you the details when we get a little bit closer. We're going to kind of all move out to the big grassy area out there where our children's buildings are going to sit. We'll have a ceremony kind of at the end of our services at the end of the day and we just want to celebrate that. So June the 3rd, put that on your calendar. That means June the 10th is going to be our last worship service in here Beginning June 17th, we will be in our fellowship hall, which means some of y'all are changing services. Y'all still think I'm kidding about that, don't you? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I've already had several people come to me and say, We'll change, and the number is growing. Praise the Lord. Uh, we need a, a lot of people to move to the 8 30. We need a few people to move to the 11 o'clock. So you be in prayer about that. It's for 10 months, It's it's for the sake of our church. And I think you can do it. I think if we moved, it would would save us uh, uh, um, a lot of heartache because y'all are going to walk in at 9.30 and I have a seat and you're going to have to wait and go to 11 anyway. But just be praying about it. Maybe the Lord leads you to go to 11 o'clock service. Some of you can go to the 8.30. I looked out last Sunday at Easter. We had well over 1,000 people at our Easter services. I looked at that auditorium at 8.30 that was pretty close to full and I thought, all y'all could go to 8.30 if you wanted to. You can get up and go to church at 8.30. It is possible. So I just want to encourage you to do that, be part of that uh, as we move forward. But those are exciting days. You be in prayer about that. Now let's jump in this morning to Acts chapter 14. We are continuing our study through the book of Acts series we've entitled From Ordinary to Extraordinary, Walking Through the Book of Acts. And we called it this, and I say this every week, because God wants to take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to your neighbor or your wife or co-worker. All those people are part of this, but I'm talking to you as an ordinary person. One ordinary person speaking to another. God wants to do extraordinary things through us. And we've kind of seen that model all the way. Up to this point in our study through the book of Acts, we've seen it with Peter, Paul, the apostles, the early church. God takes just an ordinary group of people who, by the way, were, were scared to death, hiding in the upper room until the Spirit came upon them and powered them to do great things. And because of that, a movement was started that's lasted down for 2,000 years and affected billions of people. That's pretty extraordinary. God wants to continue to do that and continue to use us. And so let's jump right in this morning to Acts chapter 14 just to kind of catch you up to speed. This has been a couple weeks since we've been in Acts. God is doing great things in the midst of these followers. God gave Peter the vision, you remember, to go to the Gentiles. Paul has now taken that call. He and Barnabas have been uh, sent out. They've been prayed over. Uh, They were sent out from Antioch to begin the first missionary journey. We've seen Paul reaching people preaching the gospel, lives are being changed, but the, the theme that we've seen in the book of Acts over and over is in the midst of God doing great things, the enemy attacks. And we said to you, listen, in your personal life, you need to be aware of that. You need to understand that as you try to seek the Lord and follow Him and do great things for Him for the sake of His kingdom, the enemy is going to attack you. You should prepare yourselves for persecution. And along those lines, we see the same thing happening in Acts this morning. I want to read you the first couple of verses, then we're going to fast forward a little bit to Acts. 14 verse 19, but listen to the first two verses of Acts 14. The Bible says, now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed, right? So so Paul and Barnabas and the followers are walking in to the city. They're preaching the gospel. People are being saved. But here's the flip side now, verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, so in the midst of God doing great things, working in the hearts of these believers, people hearing the gospel and coming to know Christ, the enemy is going to attack and we've talked about this before, but I, I don't think we can overstate the importance or the significance of this truth in our own lives because it's very easy for us sometimes to encounter the enemy, to encounter some sort of attack or some sense of persecution. And it's very, simple, it's very easy for us uh, to kind of stop doing what God's called us to do. Maybe we think there's a door that's been put up or a wall or a barrier. And when we get to this point, God's called us to do it. Persecution arises and we stop. Now I want you to notice what happens. Let's pull verse 19 out. We're going to begin because I want you to notice what's going to happen here with Paul and this persecution, how Paul's going to respond. So we're going to get into what we really want to talk about beginning in verse 21. But Jews, so, so just to kind of fast forward, Paul's going to continue to preach. He's going to heal people. Great things are going to happen. And then in verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. Now stop just for a second to make sure we understand because this is something we have no concept of, of uh, in our society currently. The idea of stoning where, where big rocks are picked up, thrown at a person basically until they're killed. Right? Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7. Paul is stoned. They think he's dead. They drag him out of the city, verse 20. But when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up, he entered the city, and on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. Now, here's what I want you to get about this. This is a little side note. This isn't really the main thing I'm talking about this morning, but it's a side note. I think it's interesting. Paul does not, go back to verse 19 again. I just want to see it with my own eyes. Paul says, was stoned and dragged out of the city. Right? Paul did not let the attacks and the persecution of the enemy stop him from doing the will of the Lord. Paul did not allow the attacks and the persecution of the enemy to stop him from doing the will. I worry sometimes, and I'll put myself in the same category, that God calls us to do something and we allow any little thing to stop us from doing it. So maybe you've kind of gotten up the courage to speak to that person at work about Christ and you've kind of gotten the nerve up and the phone rings and you're like, Shh, well, I guess I'm not going to be able to do it today. Or, you know, I think I'm going to go talk to my neighbor when I get home. And you get home and you drive up and you see the grass line. Well, I guess I better cut the grass. I can't talk to the neighbor today. Right, excuse after excuse. I just worry sometimes that we feel this calling of the Lord, this direction of Christ to do certain things, and we allow the enemy to kind of come up in our lives for whatever reason and convince us that it's not a good thing to do. We should never let the attacks of the enemy deter us from doing the work of the Lord. Because Paul's going to press on. Now, that's just a side note. That's not the main thing I want to talk about this morning. But Paul is going to press on in the midst of persecution. Now, let's take a look at verse 20. Because I want you to see what Paul's going to do right here. Paul is going to kind of come to this point in his ministry where he's reached all these people, he's preached to all these cities, he's done great work, and it's kind of time for him to go back home. And I kind of put myself in Paul's place, and I think, you know, if I'd gone through what Paul went through, if I'd accomplished the things Paul had accomplished, if I had been stoned and left for dead, probably in my heart at some point I would have said, you know what, let's just get out of here. Let's just go home. I'm done with this. I don't need to deal with this anymore. I'm just going straight home. But instead what we see with Paul, and this is fascinating, and this is what I want you to see this morning, Paul is going to make his way back home, but he's going to do it by retracing the steps from his ministry. He's going to go back through all the towns he had already gone through, not by accident, not simply so he could see the sights. There is a strategy and an intent that I want you to see this morning that's very, very important. So verse 21 of Acts chapter 14. When they had preached the gospel to that city... And had made many disciples, they returned. That word returned is really important. To Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. Remember, Antioch's where he started. Verse 22. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Keep that verse up for a second, right? That idea of strengthening and encouraging and reminding people to be mindful of tribulation, those are very important ideas. We're going to come back to those in just a second. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then, verse 24, they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, verse 25, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, right? So he's retraced his steps all the way back to where he started where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that had been fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, verse 28, and they remained no little time with the disciples. Paul has got a very intentional strategy that he uses to not only reach these people for Christ, but to maintain that relationship, build that relationship, strengthen these believers, and encourage these believers. Now, I would say to you, over the last many years, God has done an amazing work at this church. We've sent out hundreds of people all over the world. We've got lots and lots of people involved in local ministries, local mission opportunities. It'd be very easy for us, at this point in our history... To look back at all that God has done, kind of pat ourselves on the back and say, praise the Lord, God's done great things. Let's take the next many years off and just kind of rest. It would be very easy for us to do that. The problem with that is that's not our call in Scripture. Instead, what we see in Scripture time and time again is we kind of pick ourselves up and we continue to push forward to reach the world for Christ. But in order to do that, we need a strategy, right? We don't need to just kind of fly by the seat of our pants or just kind of willy-nilly make decisions that nobody understands. We need to think through, pray through, have an intentional strategy of reaching the world, reaching our community for Christ. So Paul is going to give us that strategy in these few verses. I want to think through not only how we have already implemented that at Rosemont, but how we ought to continue to implement it as we move forward. So there's some truths we're going to pull out to understand together. Here's the first one, we have it on the screen for you. Based on this teaching, based on who Paul was and what Paul accomplished, number one, we must continue to develop our mission partnerships throughout North America and the world by returning over and over again. We must continue to develop our mission partnerships throughout North America and the world by returning over and over again. One of the things you'll notice about what we do at Rosemont and our strategy at Rosemont is we don't ever kind of do just this one-off kind of a deal. Very rarely do we just send a team one time. Our intent and our strategy is always to send a team to continue to go back year after year after year. We do the same thing locally We don't just send a group to Calumet, we send them back over and over and over again. We don't just send a group to Pine Mountain, we send them back over and over. We don't just send a group to the laundromat, we send them back over and over and over. Why? Because there's this strategy, there's this intent that we should keep going back, we should keep following up, we should keep building relationships, and as we do that, the kingdom of God grows. That's exactly what Paul's done. Paul returns to these places with intent, strengthening and encouraging these believers. Paul wants to go back and see them and talk to them and hear what they're doing and understand their progress so he can continue to guide them and continue to disciple them. Now, I thought this would be a good opportunity for us... Just for a few minutes to kind of talk about the strategy. Because I, w- I want to make sure you understand what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. Now here, here's, the, here's the, uh, the fear. Here's what I don't want you to do. It's going to be easy for you over the next couple of minutes to think I'm talking about big picture and that it doesn't apply to you. I promise you I'm funneling this right down into your lap here in just a minute. So get ready, okay? Let's start with the big picture. Southern Baptist Convention. Our church gives money to what's called the cooperative program. Last year we gave over $100,000 to the cooperative program. That money goes to the North American Mission Board. That money goes primarily to the North American Mission Board and primarily to the International Mission Board, about 75% of it, to those two organizations that internationally send missionaries all over the world. In North America, they send missionaries all over North America. So there's a very clear intentional strategy from us to send the money. There's a very clear intentional strategy from IMB to send missionaries all over the world and from the North American Mission Board to send missionaries all over North America to reach people for Christ. On kind of a, a, maybe a more personal note, with our church, we've got a very intentional strategy to reach people as well. If you take our cooperative program money and then the money we spent on other mission opportunities, we spent well over $200,000 last year on mission work. That doesn't, that doesn't include what you spend to go on your trip. So we're spending over $200,000 to reach people for Christ. That's local, regional, foreign. And one of the things that we do, a big part of our strategy, as I said a few minutes ago, is we continue to send people back time and time again. Right? We have a couple of trips in the past that have been kind of a one and done kind of deal. The vast majority of our trips, we go with intent to build relationships. That's why we keep going back to South Asia. We've got five trips scheduled this year. Why? Because we're going to meet with the same missionary, the same local believers. We're going to continue to train and encourage and challenge those people to go. When we go back to Guatemala, we go to the same places. We meet with the same people, the same pastor, the same local believers. We go to Romania, we go to the same church, same local believer, same pastor. Over and over. We go to Africa, we go to the same place. Why? Because we're following this strategy. We're trying to be intentional about what we're doing. And so we've got all these trips scheduled year after year because we're going back to the same places. And, and, and by the way, if you're interested, this summer, just so you'll know, South Asia, New York City, Alaska, a new trip to London, which is already full, by the way. There's no more space for our London trip. Guatemala, Romania, Cambodia. If you're interested in any of those trips, we're going to do an interest meeting next week. You can come hear about it, learn about it pray about it, but we are actively growing and expanding our mission's uh, footprint as we add these new trips. We're doing it with intent. We're doing it with strategy, right? So, so let's funnel this down. So we've kind of seen the, the, the Southern Baptist Cooperative Program umbrella. That's kind of the big picture that we fall under locally as a church, we've kind of seen our strategy. We're going to continue to go back and reach people here in LaGrange and all around the world. But some of you at this point are thinking, well, that's great. Uh, That's the the, the association and the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention, and that's the church at large. What does that have to do for me? What does that have to do with me? Well, here's the challenge I want you to get this morning. Here's the question I want you to answer. Paul is very specific about a, a, a strategy and a plan. The Southern Baptist Convention has a plan. Our church has a plan. But here's the question I want you to answer personally. What now? If we've got a plan to reach people, if, if the convention has a plan to reach people, what is your personal strategy to reach people for Christ? Let me say it again, because some of y'all didn't even hear me say it. What, what is your personal strategy? For reaching people for Christ. Because it's not enough to say, well, you know, I give some money to IMB Cooperative Program, or our church does this, or the pastors. Do this. Those are good. We're going to keep doing those things. They're part of who we are. They're, they're built into the DNA of our church. But the real question is, what are you doing now to reach people and strengthen them in their faiths and, and, and encourage them? I want to pull up Acts 1.8. We, we have it on the screen. And I want you to notice something interesting about 1.8. We've used this as our thesis statement of Acts I've told you this is the foundation upon which everything else grows out of Acts. They're kind of these concentric circles. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? But I want you to notice something very interesting about this verse. And I want to emphasize this to you because some of y'all hadn't seen it before. But what's the the second word in verse 8? You will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and... Some of y'all, let's all say it together. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth. Right? Here's what it doesn't say. And your pastor will be a witness in Jerusalem. He will be, but that's not what it says. It doesn't say, and your Sunday school teacher, doesn't say, and your deacon, doesn't say, and your best friend or your spouse, all those people are included, by the way, we're not giving them a pass, but it's talking to you. You get that? Jesus says, listen, I'm giving you this power. I'm calling you to the mission field. I'm calling you to reach people, whether it's in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. And I've been saying it for years. Listen, you, you may get on a plane to reach people for Christ. We've got a team coming back from Zambia tomorrow. We had a team in Guatemala all week. Or maybe you're called to Jerusalem. Maybe you have been called to reach the person you work with. Here's the point. You need an intentional strategy to reach people for Christ. Because when you get to heaven, the Lord's not going to hold me responsible for you sharing your faith. He's not going to hold your spouse responsible or your children or your boss or your Sunday school teacher or your deacon. The Lord's going to say to you, listen, what did you do with this power I gave you to impact my kingdom for the world? That's what Christ is going to say to you. Now now for some people that's a little far, and it's scary and maybe you get it, uh, you know, mentally, but emotionally, it scares you to death, and so you're not quite sure what to do. I want to talk through just very briefly. I've got four things here. I want to suggest to you as you kind of understand your responsibility to share or, or develop, developing kind of a personal strategy in your life, what you want to do. This idea of intentionality. I'm going to give you four things you ought to be doing if you're going to share your faith and take this responsibility seriously. We have them on the screen. Here's the first thing you ought to be doing. You ought to pray that God would open your eyes to lost people all around you. Like for some people, that's kind of a foreign idea. So statistically, they estimate that probably 7 out of 10 people in Georgia are lost. Okay, now even the, even the real conservative numbers say 5 out of 10, which I don't think those are right. But at best, we would say half the people. And probably realistically more like 6 out of 7. That means when you go into Walmart... Today or tomorrow, whenever you go next, I know we go all the time, right? Whenever you go to Walmart or the mall or wherever you go, seven out of every ten people you see are lost. Did you know that? So, so this idea that you don't have an opportunity to share the gospel or you don't have this chance to share with people that don't know is just not true. It's just not true. The problem is we're not aware of what's going on around us. We get our blinders on. We've got our to do. I do the same thing. We got our to-do list. We kind of work through our schedule and we're so busy. We're not aware of the things around us. We need to pray God would open our eyes to lost people all around you. Now, here's a word of caution. When you begin to pray that, you need to prepare yourself because God's going to do it. If you honestly say the Lord, Lord, listen, I'm really not aware of people around me that are lost, and I need to be forgive me, Lord, for that. Help me to better understand this need and then open my eyes, Lord, to people all around me so I can be willing and able to do something about their losses. When you begin to pray that, God is going to answer that prayer. You need to be prepared. You're like, okay, great. So I'm going to start praying this. What do I need to do? Second thing, here's the second thing. You need to learn some sort of a simple gospel presentation. I'm going to... uh, um, What's the word? I don't want to say anger you, but I may uh, insult you right now, but I'm going to do it anyway because you need to hear this, okay? If you've been a believer for more than a year or two, there is no excuse for you not being able to explain the gospel to somebody. It's just not. You should be able to come up with some sort of a simple presentation of the gospel if you've been a believer more than just a few months. That's most of us in here. If you don't, I want to help you. There are all sorts of models. We use faith here for a number of years. Many of you have used faith. I still use it sometimes. A simple one is the Roman road. Right, the Roman road simply kind of walks through all the sin, you know, but the wages of sin is death, forgiveness of Christ, and then Roman ten: if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's a simple little model. I'm telling you, you can learn it in 15 minutes. And you take that tool and you stick it in your back pocket and you start praying, God, reveal to me people around me that are lost. Help me understand the need of people around me. Give me the opportunity to share. And when you get the opportunity to share that God is now going to give you, you've got a tool you can use. Here's the third thing you ought to do. Begin a conversation and move it to spiritual things. But like most of us don't have any trouble having conversations. It's, it's kind of who we are. It's normal. We have conversations with people all the time at work or at the grocery store or on the phone. Or, it's normal. We, we get that. The hard part for us is turning it to spiritual. We need to be intentional about this. We ought to have a strategy. Listen, I'm going to have this conversation with this guy at work. I know he's lost. I'm going to start talking about certain things that we talk about on a normal basis. And then I'm going to begin it to turn to the spiritual. It can be as simple as saying something like this. Hey, I was at Easter last week and and we we studied this. Can I tell you about it? Or hey, you, you attend church anywhere? That's how I usually start. People, I strike up a conversation. I say, are you in a church anywhere around here? Boom, it's a spiritual conversation all of a sudden. So we we ought to be intentional about our conversations. If we're honest about lostness and if we're prepared, we need to have these conversations and understand we need to turn these to the spiritual things to have these conversations with people. And then fourth, this is maybe the most difficult for us, we need to find the courage to talk about our faith. This is really where the rubber meets the road for us, isn't it? Yeah, I'll pray, okay, I'll pray. Yeah, I'll memorize a gospel presentation. Yeah, I can think about turning conversations into spiritual things. But when we get to number four, the courage to actually do it is where most people are lacking. Right? They say, you know what, I'm afraid. Uh, I'm not quite sure what to say. What if they won't respond in the right way? What if I don't, what if I don't understand how to ask their, answer the questions? It's okay. It's okay to be a little afraid. It's okay to not have all the answers. Christ doesn't say to us, listen, you need to have the book of Acts memorized, the book of Romans memorized, and have all these. You just need to share your faith to people. Very simply, Christ saved you from an eternity separated from Him. There's a story right there. You tell that to people. I and mean, Christ has made a difference in my life. Let me tell you how He makes a difference every day for me. Let me tell you what the Lord's showing me right now as I study. Let me, let me tell you what we're studying at church. All of a sudden, you've got a story to tell, but we need to pray about the courage and the strength to share our faith. We we need an intentional strategy. We have one as a convention. We have one as a church. Paul had one. What's yours? Let's continue. Verse 21 again. Pull that up for me if you would, please. Acts 15, 21. 14, 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. In verse 22, I said we were going to come back to it in a few minutes. Strengthening... The souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Here's the third truth, we, the second truth we see this morning. We must continue to develop and encourage our mission partnerships as well as develop leaders in existing churches. We must continue to strengthen and encourage our mission partnerships as well as develop leaders in existing churches. Right There's this sense that we ought to keep going back, which we do, but we're not going back without intent. We're not going back just to fellowship and take pictures. We're going back so we can encourage those people, so we can strengthen them, so we can develop leaders in these existing churches. Look at verse 22 if you would. Pull that back up for me, please. Paul very specifically says that he strengthened the souls of the disciples, that he encouraged them to continue in their faith, right? When we go back and we share with these people and we meet with these people, one of the things we ought to be doing is strengthening them in their walk. One of the things we ought to be doing is encouraging them in their walk. One of the things we ought to be doing is training them and allowing them to grow in their walk. It's always fascinating to me when we go overseas especially to see the lack of material resources and training that these people have. We take so much for granted the amount of things we have access to whether it's internet or books or seminars or whatever the case may be. We have all these opportunities to grow in our faith and to develop and so many of these people in other parts of the world don't. And so when we go back, we train. When we go back, we teach. We we sent a team to, to Nepal just a couple of weeks ago. For the entire time they were in Nepal, you know what they did? They sat in little rooms with local believers and trained them and strengthened them and encouraged them. When we go to South Asia, we go to India again this year, we'll sit in a room with believers and we'll strengthen them and encourage them and train them. I went to Guatemala last fall, and you know what I did? I went in three different cities, and with Bobby and with uh, Randy, we strengthened and we cur- encouraged and we trained. Why? Because that's the model Paul gives us, and it allows us to speak into these people's lives, help them to grow in their faith, help them understand the kingdom of God is working through them so they can accomplish great things through the Lord. Up until this point, it's exciting. We're like, yes, we need to go back and strengthen We need to encourage them. Good things are going to happen. All these are positive, exciting. We get it. We want to be part of it until we get kind of the end of verse 22, right? So strengthening the souls of the disciples, that's good. We want to do that. Encouraging them to continue in their faith. Yeah, I want to be part of that. That's good. I'm I'm on board with that. And this is the hard part. Saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You're like... Let me let me just let me ignore that part. I want to strengthen and encourage. Tribulation part, I'm not so sure I want to be part of. But here's what we see in Scripture. Paul was persecuted. Peter was persecuted. The early Christians were persecuted. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, I want you to listen. I want you to look it up. Don't look it up, just listen to these words. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 10, right? You, however, this is Paul speaking. Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. Verse 12, you ought to write this down, 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, Paul says, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, this is not a sermon about persecution, but I fear that persecution in America is ramping up just a little bit. I think a time is coming in in the not-too-distant future where believers are really going to have to take a stand for their faith. Like We're already seeing it a little bit now, like like Christian uh, 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 words and the things we say are beginning to be suppressed just a little bit. Right now, it's just kind of criticism and people laughing and kind of ostracizing and and kind of setting us off to the side. It's going to increase. Right now, it's not illegal, but the time is probably coming. Paul says, listen, we we need to be ready for this. We need to be strengthened and encouraged and prepared. Why? Because when persecution comes, we need to be ready for it. Now, here's the fascinating thing about persecution. Persecution. It's, it's incredibly scary, but it's really incredibly encouraging too from a kingdom perspective. Every time throughout history that persecution has come, the church has grown. Right? And this is not a, a Christian history class, but it's very interesting because the opposite is true. When the church has kind of been left alone and hasn't really been pushed or prodded, it tends to get weak and kind of squishy and it doesn't really grow. When persecution comes, it gets lean and strong and grows. It's always been the case. You say, yeah, but persecution was something that happened in the the first century, and I know it happened in Acts, but it's not really happening anymore, and so we don't really have to worry about tribulations. We can just worry about strengthening and encouraging. I would say to you, this is truth. You ought to go Google it if you don't believe me. More people were killed for their faith in the last century than all the other centuries combined up to that point, worldwide. More people were killed for their faith last century than all of the other centuries combined. It's true. Now, we've been a little bit insulated here in America, but you, you read stories. I, I, I went this morning, again, just to double-check, make sure these are still right. Voice of the Martyrs. If you're not familiar with Voice of Mars, Martyrs, you ought to look it up. It's called persecution.com. It's a website. And it kind of monitors the persecution of believers worldwide. It's a fascinating website. Here are the top... Here are the top headlines from that website this morning. In Uzbekistan, police interrogate an 8-year-old Christian boy in an ongoing harassment case. Right? They pull him out. This 8-year-old kid pulled him out of school, harassed him and asked him question after question about his family's belief, about their Christianity, about their church. In Iran, two believers are awaiting a ruling on an 8-year prison sentence. You know what these guys are being sentenced 8 years for? They found Bibles in their house. True. Bangladesh... Christian brothers are being beaten and threatened. Why? Because they converted to Christianity. They were Hindu, they converted to Christianity, they've been beaten, they've been threatened. On and on and on the list goes all through Asia, all through Africa, Nigeria, Tanzania, Somalia. It's so interesting to me because we see all this persecution, we see all these problems, and then in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of these problems, we see the church growing. Africa is no exception. I want to read from you. This is an article from several years ago, but I kept it because it was so interesting to me. This is an Islamic scholar speaking to Al Jazeera, right? which is the, which is the Islamic media outlet. So an Islamic scholar is speaking to Al Jazeera, and I'm going to quote him. He said, Islam used to represent Africa's main religion. The number of Muslims in Africa has diminished to 316 million. There are about a billion people in Africa, half of whom are Arabs in North Africa. So in the section of Africa, he's speaking of sub-Saharan, that's kind of the south part of Africa, that we're talking about, the non-Arab section, the number of Muslims does not exceed 150 million people. He goes on to say, there are now 1.5 million churches, these are Christian churches, whose congregations account for 46 million people. Now listen to this. This is an Islamic scholar speaking to Al Jazeera. Every hour, 667 Muslims convert to Christianity in Africa. Every day, 16,000 Muslims convert to Christianity. Every year, 6 million Muslims convert to Christianity. According to the World Christian Encyclopedia, by 2025, which is just in a few years, there will be 633 million Christians in Africa. Now think about this. In the midst of great persecution, oftentimes the church is exploding in China India, Africa, Muslim-controlled parts of Africa, why is that? Like, how is it possible that in the midst of great persecution and suffering, Christianity can be growing? Well, there's a lot of reasons. The first main reason is that the Lord's grace is sufficient. We know that. The Bible teaches us the grace of the Lord is sufficient for us. But here's why I believe this is happening in great numbers. Because I think this strategy that Paul has laid out for us, this idea of going back and especially strengthening and encouraging these local believers, is the model that so many missions sending organizations are now doing. It's what we do, it's what IMB does. And so we go into these parts of the world, we're training these local believers, we're encouraging them, we're strengthening them. So when the persecution comes, they can still enter the kingdom of God. Isn't that fascinating? Like it's Acts 14.22 lived out right now in India and China and sub-Saharan Africa and parts of Europe. It's just lived out because people are faithful to the truth of God's word. Local people are being encouraged and strengthened and are entering the kingdom of God because the Lord is at work. It's a model we ought to understand. It's a model we ought to follow. It's a truth we ought to believe. Now we need to finish up. Look at verse fourteen, uh, chapter 14, verse 26 and, and, and 27 very very quickly. I want to finish this up. Verse 26 of Acts 14. And from there they sailed to Antioch where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had. What's the word right there? Are y'all still with me? I know. Almost, we're almost done. It's 10.30. I know. Give me a few more minutes. Let's look at it again. The grace of God for the work they had. What? Fulfilled. Right? Not that they kind of stopped short or they got tired and went home, but they, God gave them this work and they fulfilled it. Here's truth number three. We must push on in order to complete the journey. You know, it's, it's not easy sometimes in the Christian walk. It's not easy doing the work of the Lord. The, the more we do for Christ, the more the enemy is going to attack the more persecution is going to come the more struggles we're going to face but paul and so many others like him even in the midst of persecution pushed on completed the journey fulfilled all that the lord had called them to fulfill i want that to be said about us i want to look back and celebrate all we've done but i want to push even harder to move forward i want i want to fulfill this great calling We want to continue to go and to reach and to minister and to make a difference for Christ. I've said it before and I'm going to continue to say it. A church should not be measured by its seating capacity. It should be measured by its sending capacity. How many people can we send out? Whether that's to Jerusalem here in LaGrange, to Samaria regionally or to the uttermost parts of the earth. How many people are going to go and take seriously this calling to share their faith to encourage, to strengthen believers, to do the things that Christ has called us to fulfill his calling and to complete this journey. That's our calling. See, I believe with all my heart that God has got an incredible plan for this church. I believe with all my heart that God has got an incredible plan for you. And when we trust him and we fulfill it and we follow the teaching of his word, he's honored and he's glorified and he takes a bunch of ordinary people And does extraordinary things for the sake of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the model that Paul has laid out for us in the book of Acts. For his faithfulness. Father, for just the incredible endurance in the midst of great persecution, Father. Lord, I I pray right now that none of us would ever have to go through that persecution. But if we do, Father, give us the strength to endure. Give us the ability, Father, to press on the courage, Lord, to complete and fulfill the journey you've called us to, understanding that your grace is sufficient, Father, and you've given us a model to live by. Help us to take seriously, Lord, this calling of going and sharing and reaching, this intentional strategy we see, Father. Help us to to figure out a way how how to implement that in our hearts and in our lives. Whether it's with our neighborhood or with our city or some country, some far off place, Father. Call us to be part of this battle, Lord. Give us the courage and the strength we need to fulfill all you've called us to be. And Lord, take a group of of, of sinful, ordinary people. And through the power of the Spirit, do extraordinary things in our lives for your sake and for your kingdom. We love you and serve you in all things. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. The altar is open. You can come and pray. Speak to me. This is your opportunity to respond. You come as we sing together this morning. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.